I thought it would be useful to do Matthew 24 uh, right now since we've come to the end of the first section uh, of Revelation. Uh, one of the reasons why I think it's important is, is many of you in the Revelation class have been like, hey, Matthew 24 says, and I've been like, it does, but let's wait. <laughs> so I want to be able to kind of tie uh, some of those things in that you've uh, been able to observe. Uh, I, I, I already set forward, I'm, I, it's not going to be line by line, okay? We're, it, I, we we want to get back to Revelation. We could spend a whole Bible class probably in Matthew 24. Uh, but I'd like to give you the big idea of, of the chapter, some of the key passages in it that are uh, the ones worthy of debate of sorts and uh, show their connections to Revelation 6 through 11. Uh, and then uh, if there's time, I've got a review of chapter 6 through 11 that I would like to do for Revelation. If not, we'll, we'll pick it up then next week there and then move to chapter 12. So you have a workbook. That'll be for next week. Nothing in that workbook that I gave you is pertinent to today, uh, but that's so you have time to get prepped for that. All right. You have your Bibles, Matthew 24, and uh, the context of, of Matthew 24 uh, is is really, 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 really important. Uh, man, how the if it's, it's the first two verses just get missed, and it's almost like what we did in Revelation, and we spent like a whole two classes on the first three verses. You, you probably kind of need to do that here as, as well. You'll notice in chapter 24, verse 1, it says that Jesus is leaving the temple and his disciples are pointing out the buildings of the temple. Now, context is important here because there's, I don't believe that what happened here is that as they're walking out of the temple, the disciples are going, hey, Jesus, have you noticed how pretty our temple is? <laughs> you know, it's kind of a weird thing that verse 1 says that they're pointing out the temple. Well, they've been there a few times. This is the last time Jesus will be in, uh, in, in Jerusalem as he's making these remarks. So it's, he's already been there on a number of occasions. Jesus being in his 30s would have at least made 30 trips there for uh, the various feasts and holidays. But if you get rid of that chapter break and just back up a few verses and notice what Jesus has just done after pronouncing these woes in Matthew chapter 23, you will notice that it says, uh, let's see, let's begin in verse uh, 32. Fill up then the measure of your, of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you to escape your sentence being sentenced to hell? Therefore, I send you prophets, wise men, scribe, and some whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I have gathered, have gathered you as children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Is chapter 3 a little bit scathing about Jerusalem? 
Holy cow. <laughs> I mean, uh, brood of vipers, you're going to hell, is what he tells them in, in verse 33. He says that all the righteous blood on earth has been shed by them in verses 34 and 35. Uh, he's just ripping on Jerusalem and all of their sins and all of their problems. So when you have them go, coming out and saying, but look at our temple. It's not like, you know, lifestyles of the rich and famous and, oh, isn't this neat how, how pretty things are. It's an understanding of what Jesus just said. He just proclaimed judgment and destruction on Jerusalem. All the righteous blood is on you. You all are worthy of hell. And did you catch that? He said there in chapter 23 and verse 38, it's all going to come in this generation. All of these woes, all of your doom, it's over, this generation. So you have the disciples now like saying the temple and the beauty of what we have here, of God being here and this worship and these buildings that we have as a temple complex. Really? This? That's why I noticed verse 2, what does Jesus do? What does he say? And notice that's not a new thought right there. He underscores it. Not one stone left upon another. Well, that's what all of chapter 23 was saying. Judgment and doom. The city's done. And they're, they're like, wait, wait, look at the temple. where It can't be. And, and Jesus just like drives it further. Not only is it like going to be destroyed, like it's going to be destroyed. Like no more blocks on top of each other. It not been very long that Herod had created that whole thing. Yes. Yes. Yes, the, the beauty of the temple in the first century, Josephus says it was a wonder to see. Uh, the kinds of marble that was on it, apparently, when the sun rose and, sh and shone on it, it was just brilliant white as it, as it would shine. And so it was a beautiful complex that Herod uh, ha had built, Debbie. Uh, yeah, yes and no. I, yeah, I, I, I think it's hard for them to get their mind around the idea of bringing this to an end like, like this. Um, so I think so, but I don't know that that was that easy for them to really, you know, get, get a hold of. Yeah, exactly, Charlotte. All three of them, yes. And it's important because the amount of text that's given to it, it's all of chapter 23, it's all of chapter 24. These, these are huge sections that Jesus is spending time talking about uh, Jerusalem's fall. And, you know, sometimes it's brought up in the study of Revelation, well, who really cares if Jerusalem was going to fall? Why would Christians care about that? I'd care a lot. I mean, one, Jesus said that was going to happen uh, and you have the fulfillment of it. But this was going to dramatically affect the, the people of God and, and even true Christians because they're going to be told specific directions on what they're supposed to do when these events <clears throat> be, begin to unfold. So verse three gives uh, a, a question, the, the, the questions uh, or question that is given. Verse three you have the disciples, now they're on the Mount of Olives, and they ask, 
When will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? So I want you to notice, you know, we can talk about if it's two or three questions. That's kind of irrelevant, as I'm going to try to show you, whether it's two or three. And I'll, I'll weigh in on my thought on that because it doesn't change what Jesus is talking about. But Jesus has just said, there's not going to be one stone left upon another. Now, what would be some natural questions that you would have about that? One, when? (laughs) When's all this going to happen? And you see them ask that. When will these things be? What are the these things? What's our context? The temple destruction. We, We can't change these things to something else. That's what we're talking about here. And then the next thing they ask are, well, what are going to be the signs? What are going to be the signs? Now, we have spent some time in this in talking about Revelation. It says there, what will be the sign of your coming? All right. Let's see if we can bring all of our hard work that we've done. When you see pictures about the Lord coming or Jesus coming, does that always refer to the end of the world? No. no. <laughs> we see that all over the scriptures of God coming just simply means judgment. And it could be end of the world. Sometimes it's used that way, sure. But it does just because the Lord's coming doesn't mean, okay, well, that's the end. But it's the end of somebody. <laughs> Somebody's going to get it. That's the picture. So wouldn't this make sense to say, well, here we are talking about Jerusalem is going to be blown to the ground and it's going to be within their generation. And they're asking when, tell us when, you know, day, time, month, year, and what are going to be the signs? What are going to be the things that we would observably see to know that those things are about to happen? And so I want you then to notice what the rest of it says. It says there in verse 3, and the end of the age. So you have two choices. Some read that as, and the end of the world. And that comes from the King James Version, the American Standard Version. I'm fascinated, and, and I think rightly so. All modern translations read end of the age. I think that's far more logical to the discussion because... To me, this fits the idea. What is the sign of your coming and the end of the age would be, in my mind, the end of the Jewish system, the end of the Jewish age. If God's destroying the temple and saying not one stone left upon another, this thing is done. That's the end of the whole mosaic system. That's the end of the Jewish age. That's the end of, of, all, of all of that. Like, Yeah. Well, yeah. Yes, it, it's amazing how at one moment they can spiritually click in, and then at some moments totally miss it, like us. <laughs> we kind of do the same thing, like, oh yeah, and then <laughs> you know, same kind of same kind of thing here when there were the days of Jesus. Now. One of the things I want, I want to point out is Mark and Luke only have two questions. So 
I believe, right now, I believe that when, sometimes I say, well, there's three questions in Matthew. I don't think saying the signs of your coming and end of the age are different points or different things. Jesus coming would be the end of the Jewish system, the end of their age, the end of that era, the end of that time frame. That, that those two would be together. And that would be one of the reasons why Mark and Luke would only have, have two. Now, you can, if you want to say, okay, there's three, and this and chapter Matthew 24 is elaborating, giving more information, that's fine. You, you, can, you can have that. But one of the things I want you to think about is, do you think the disciples, as Jesus has just pronounced doom on Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple and not one stone upon another, that their questions sounded like this? So we want to know when the temple's going to be destroyed. We want to know the signs of the temple destruction. And we also want to know when the end of the world is. Well, that's how everybody takes this text, right? I mean, that is the majority primary view. And I just want you to feel how that third question feels really jarring. By the way, did they really understand that Jesus was leaving yet? They certainly didn't understand he was coming back a second time yet. But, right. This is all still problematic to the disciples about he's even going. He's coming. Is he coming back? This is all still. It's not like they, they've got all this down at this at this point. This is all very new information to them for the disciples to be asking about the second coming to me is outside of the context and it's outside of their knowledge base at this point. That's not what their concern is. They don't know he's going. They certainly don't know he's coming back again. And so an end of the world question to me seems very out of place. Now, to be fair, I want you to know why that happened. Two reasons. Reason one, because it says, uh, what will be the sign of your coming? And what does everybody do with sign of your coming? End of world. And... Older translations, I mean, the King James, as good as it is, not, I'm not capping on it, but it reads end of the world. So what were you going to do with that question? <laughs> end of the world. And that's why I said, I think it's interesting that since 1901, every translation that I could find says end of the age. And I think that's a far uh, better one. By the way, the Greek word for end can also mean close, or I found one scholar wrote it as consummation. Consummation is one of the primary definitions. This is the consummation of the Jewish age. You're bringing all of this to a close in Christ. And I I think that would be the logical flow of this. Now, I'll let you you have your question, but then I want to go forward and get through the text, and then you can come back and challenge these questions and all of your rebukes and rebuttals. I'll be happy to to take it. Yeah. Um, that, that was an inkling, at least. Yeah, but but they're not they're not there yet. It, 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 Jesus re- will keep telling them, "I'm going to be arrested and killed and raised three days later." That this is the information point that they're at. A second coming. <clears throat> I, I don't think they're they get to that point till after the resurrection. That that's when that information starts flowing. I, I think we're still just in dealing with. What the? I was thinking more about his about Jesus's death per se. I mean, yeah. they did have an idea. They he's they've been told that yeah. yes, 
but understanding a a leaving uh, if we haven't even gotten to where John gives us the details in chapters John 14 through 16, you know, where, where they don't understand that he's going. And this is when he says, I'm going to have to go. I'll send you the comforter. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. They don't even have that information yet. So him going is still not really in the knowledge banks uh, and nor do they have a comprehension of it. So to me, to have them going, hey, and also tell us about the end of the world right here. It's not context, and I think it's outside of the purview of what was, was in their minds at, the, at this moment. All right, so I want you to notice just framing the book, the question essentially, whether you see it as two questions or three, verse 3 of chapter 24 says, when and what are the signs? So what are when and what are the signs? So that's what he's going to answer. But I would like for you to notice if we just kind of give an overview of the chapter, he answers them in reverse. Because you will notice in, in verses 4 through 35, you have an awful lot of signs that, that, that are laid out. And we'll talk about some of those in just a minute. But that's what you're going to talk about wars and rumors of wars and kingdoms and tribulation and persecution. There's all of these signs that he starts laying out. But then I want you to notice the turning point in verse 36 when he says, but the day or the hour, no one knows. So I want you to see he's addressing the questions they've asked. He hasn't gone off somewhere else in the discussion. They want to know when will the temple be destroyed and what are the signs of that event? And so he starts with, here's your signs. And then he gets to verse 36 and goes, but telling you month, day, and year, I, I, I can't do that. We'll talk about why in just a minute. But just I want you to just frame the chapter in that way. It's, he, they ask when and signs. He answers in the reverse, signs and when. Okay, all right, let's keep rolling. So uh, just some of the things that I want you to notice that, that are signs. From verse 4 to verse 14, he talks about there's going to be wars, there's going to be rumors of wars, there's going to be famines, earthquakes, people falling away, false prophets. If you read any semblance of the book of Acts, that's what's going on in the first century. You read about those, those things happening. If you read any history of the first century, you know that those things are, are, are going on. There are wars. There is rumors. There is a rumor of, of war. There are famines that are going on. There is an earthquake. There, all of those things are certainly we can find historically uh, in, in the first century. So he says all those things are going to happen, but I don't want that to jar you or get you upset. You kind of see that in verse 8. These are just the beginnings of birth pains those are just things that are just kind of the warm-up of things that are going to be happening don't let that throw you now here's one place where people will point to is verse 14 and this gospel of the kingdom will be pronounced through the whole world as a testimony to all the nations and then the end will come and so they'll read that and go, well, since the gospel hasn't been proclaimed to all the world, this must be talking about everything in the second coming and, and at the end. So I, I want to give you a, a, a challenge to that because it is interesting that the Apostle Paul makes a very important proclamation in Colossians 1.23 where he says, 
that the gospel had been proclaimed throughout all creation. So their view of what they were doing, they had accomplished the gospel spread through the known world at that time. So you don't have to read anything at the beginning of chapter 24 and go, well, that must be way on out there in the second coming and all that because the gospel hasn't been preached to the whole world. Actually, it has, and it had even into the first century as the Christians are dispersing and taking the gospel everywhere. It's a very important line that the Apostle Paul says. Well, when Jesus told Peter and the disciples, I'm going to build my church, they didn't have any concept of what that was. No. <laughs> no. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the disciples are very much being taught an awful lot. And, and I will remind you that it is after the, re- well, but start with this. How many times does the Gospel of John will say, and after the resurrection they understood? <laughs> a lot. <laughs> that the resurrection was a transforming moment to go, oh. And remember, Jesus breathes on them the Holy Spirit. And after the resurrection, we're told in Acts 1, 40 days, Jesus is teaching his disciples. 40 days. So this is like intense crash course learning for 40 days. And it says he's teaching about the kingdom. He's, all right, now that I've been risen from the dead, we can now talk about what's going to happen now and, and get, get you guys ready for the work that's, that's, that's before you. Um, by the way, if the screens are flying too fast, just ask me, I'll email it to you, okay? <laughs> all right. Um, so verses 4 through, through, through 35 Signs of the coming temple destruction. Verse 15 is a fun one. We've referred to this repeatedly. When you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Now, we don't have time, but I did take you to Daniel, and you can go see this in Daniel 12. You can see this in Daniel 9. It is there. We've spent time referring to those. But here's your cheat sheet. is Luke's account at the very same point in parallel does not say, when you see the abomination of desolation standing in the holy place where it ought not be, let the reader understand. It just simply reads, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, which is what Daniel 9 and Daniel 12 were talking about. But Luke, as written to Gentiles, says, I know they're not going to know Daniel, so let me just tell you what that means. So I think that's important here is that this moment that Jesus is talking about signs, one of the biggest signs that they're to have their eyes open for is the coming of the Roman army. When the Roman army starts its approach into Judea, you better start waking up and get ready because that's going to be a very obvious sign. And one of the obvious things to that is a verse 16. Uh, Matthew 24, verse 16, when that abomination of desolation is there, what is everybody supposed to do? Run. Run. If this is the end of the world, what good is that going to do? <laughs> you know, if, we're, if it, this is the second coming and this is the end and this is the wars and rumors of wars of the, of the final coming, then why would I run to the mountains? I might as well just sit back and get in a chair and relax because here he comes. <laughs> you know, running is not. But if it's a judgment of Jerusalem, running makes a whole lot of sense. Get out of town. Get out of the city. Flee to the mountains. You better run before it's too late. 
And verses 17 through 28 is just simply a description of what that escape was going to look like. He talks about, you're going to hear rumors about the Son of Man doing this, that, and, and, and whatever. But all of this is essentially some of the descriptions about what all this is going to look like and entail as the Roman army makes its approach into Judea and is going to surround Jerusalem and destroy destroy that temple. And you, I think it's interesting to see some key points along the way with that. For example, verse 21, Jesus calls this a great tribulation. And the reason why I zero in on that is that there's only three times in the New Testament the phrase great tribulation is used. Matthew 24 and the two places in Revelation that we've, that we, that we've been. Remember in Revelation 7.14. These are the ones who are coming through the great tribulation. And we've been talking about a judgment that has been on Jerusalem, on, on the Jewish physical nation, on the, on the temple. Here is this great tribulation that is being described by Jesus. You might remember that we spent time connecting Revelation 11, that the temple is measured and spared, but don't measure the outside because the holy city will be trampled by the Gentiles for 42 months. Matthew and Luke, same idea. Luke's account says that you're going to have the trampling of Jerusalem by the the Gentiles. Same thing. So they're talking about this, the same event in, in the, in, in 70 AD when that happens. All right, let's, here's, here's a real important test of how we've done in Revelation. Look at verse 29, Matthew 24, 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. End of the world, right? No. All right, we've, we've, we've done well, my friends. We've, we've done well. What, is, what does that mean? Lights out. We saw that in Revelation 6. That same terminology was used in Revelation 6. We spent time there where we were in that section. I took you back to Isaiah and all over the Old Testament prophets where sun darkened, moon not giving light, stars falling, all of that stuff all just means it's done for a nation. All right. In Matthew 24's context, what's our nation being destroyed? Who's the object of God's wrath? Jerusalem, it's the physical nation of Israel that's it's about to be destroyed. All right, verse 30. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds with power and great glory. Jesus has said this a lot. <laughs> I'll remind you that this is very similar to Revelation 1.4. Every eye will see him and all will mourn, even those who pierced him. That's Revelation 1.7, which is Zechariah, which we already spent time doing. So I'm just saying, go back and read your notes on Revelation 1.7, because that's the same phrase here. But remember, I showed you Matthew 26, about verse 63, Jesus tells Caiaphas, and Caiaphas says, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? And Jesus responds, I am, and you will see me coming in the clouds with great glory. And so you have two choices. Caiaphas is still alive, (laughs) waiting for the second coming. Or his coming was a coming of judgment which is what our context is about, right? Verse 29, lights out, and you're going to know, I did it. (laughs) 
I'm the reason why for the judgment. You will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds. I'm telling you that it is my judgment against you, which, as I quickly read just the end, that's what Matthew 23 is saying. That's what all of Matthew 23 is saying. All the blood of the righteous people are on you. Verse 31. See if this sounds familiar. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Does that ring a bell? Somewhere in Revelation. Do you remember Revelation 6 ends there 6, 12 through 17 lights out, right? But Revelation 7 opens with hold on. Tells the angels restrain the winds until, do you remember what? The people of God are marked, right? Or to use the words here, until mine are gathered, my elect are are selected, and then the judgment can happen. So you're seeing the same picture here being given is that I'm knowing who's mine. I am gathering who belong to me, which is important because some of the people of God are going to die in this. But this very much fits everything that has been described uh, up to this point that we've seen in in the book of Revelation as as well. Uh, Verses 32 to 35. When you see all these things, the time is near. So I want you to get a sense that here he's still giving all of those signs. When you see all these different events start unfolding, then you're going to know it's all going to happen. Very important key that he states again in verse 34. This generation will not pass away until all this takes place. There, anything that you have read up to this point in the Matthew 24 cannot be past the first century. Because Jesus right here says this generation would not pass away until these events unfold. So... Again, a second coming interpretation is falling apart immediately, I hope. That, that's not the context. That's not what they asked. That's not their understanding. It's not what we've been talking about up, up to this point. All right. Questions up to this point, because I need to have enough time to do the back end here of this chapter. But are we okay? I want to make sure or at least you're understanding what I'm saying. Doing okay. Yeah, he didn't even know what he was ultimately referring to. All right, so verse 36, I want you to notice that now the shift is when. So everything has been signs. Here's all the things that are going to happen. And verses 32 to 35 underscore that. Just like when you see a, a, a branch putting out leaves, you know that summer is near. So when you see these things you know the end of the, the Jewish age, this temple is near. Now, question two, they wanted to know, when? When is it going to happen? Give me the month, day, and year so that we are ready for this event to happen. And I want you to notice, this sometimes throws people off in verse 36 when it says, the day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the sun, but the Father only. And you'll go, hey, now wait a minute. How can Jesus not know when this is going to happen? He's divine. He's God, right? So how could he not know something? 
I think there's only one answer to this. That's not heresy. <laughs> you know that he's not God. He didn't know. Why didn't he know? Because that time hadn't been set yet. The exact day and time had not yet been determined by the Father. That's to me what makes the most sense. Which fits what the Apostle Paul writes to the Thessalonians and talking about how the Jewish nation who'd been persecuting the Christians are filling up their sins to the uttermost. There's this image of God is giving them this time to repent and they're sinning and sinning and sinning. And at some point, God's going to go, that's enough. I'm going to do something about it. I mean, it's kind of like what we say about our country. At some point, God's going to say enough and do something about it. Is the day and the hour selected? Probably not because it's a chance. Will the nation repent? We're still filling up our sins to the uttermost. And finally, there just comes the cutoff line where God goes, okay, that's it. To me, that's what makes the most sense of Jesus saying, I don't even know when yet. Because it can't be, well, he just doesn't know. He's God. Why wouldn't he know? Well, I think the reason he doesn't know is because God's still giving time. Which is what Jesus has been running around saying. Repent, repent, repent. By the way, what are the apostles... Peter's first sermon, what's he going to tell everybody to do before it's too late? We're trying to turn this around before it's too late. Blood, fire, smoke, darkness, quoting Joel 2. You need to repent. Vicky. And, and it does only make sense because that is all that the, from what I'm understanding, that's what the actual prophecy is about. Yeah. Telling us to repent. Yeah. So how can he know yeah. if he's still waiting for that one more? Exactly. He's, he will never know, so how can Exactly. That time has not yet been set as God is trying to get all to repent before it's too late. Uh, to me, that is the most logical answer why Jesus could say, I don't even know. It's because that's just not set on the table yet. I don't think it's like, you know, well, the father held this one back from me. You know, <laughs> I think it's, we're just waiting for that, that outcome. But I do want you to notice verses 37 to 39 are reminders that these things were going to happen suddenly. Life was going to be carrying on in the land of Judea. And then suddenly the Roman Empire is going to invade. <laughs> this is all going to eventually unfold. Now, verses 40 and 41 are really important. Let me back that off of there so I can I can read this to you. <clears throat> Verse 40. Uh, then two men will be in the field. One will be taken. One will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one will be left. All right. So what should we do with that? First of all, have we left a context of Jerusalem? We want when that we've shifted to when now, right? When is it going to happen? When is it going to happen? This most logically refers to when they come, some are going to be captured and some weren't. When the invasion it takes place, exactly as Josephus says, there were tons of people who were captured and there were tons that were killed and tons that were remaining left, left in the city. If this is the end of the world, what's the problem here? How do you have one taken and one left? Yep. Okay, but my understanding is in the world, those who are faithful will rise and meet Jesus with those who are, are, are have died will rise right. and meet with the 
Okay. At that point, everything is gone. Everything is destroyed. Everything is burned up. The right. world as we know it, time as we know it, cease to exist. But those who are not faithful are not, they do not rising with them. They are left to come to for the for the judgment. They are left. They're not left on this earth, but they're left. Okay. I, I would struggle with seeing how they're being left behind. And I hope we would see this is where, in fact, the, the book series Left Behind comes from, is this. Is that the saints are raptured and the unfaithful are left behind. So again, I'll point out where we started our study is that our context has not been anything about end of world. And we've been talking about their questions are about the destruction of Jerusalem, not one stone left upon another. And that's one of the challenges is trying to get around, well, how can we say that some are going to be taken and some are, are going to be left? That becomes becomes problematic uh, to the situation. And that's what I think you see where Jesus goes with with the rest rest of the, the the picture here is he just starts talking about preparation and readiness and being uh, being do, doing right for when the master comes uh, verses uh, forty five to fifty one uh, he carries out those pictures of you think the master's de- delayed uh, don't do that because it's going to be a time when that's that's least least ex- expected there. Um, and I'll just, as a quick run, just point out Matthew 25 continues these pictures of, of readiness and, and obedience. Don't have time for that. But I think it's useful to observe that uh, Jesus keeps going. He starts talking about, he gives two parables, parable of the, the, the virgins and parable of uh, the talents uh, and starts rolling through more preparation kind of, kind of imagery, Julie. I think so as well. I think a lot of layers over time have been have been put over this. And if we can back into those questions carefully and see when will these things be? Well, what are the these things? Well, back in verse two is not one stone left upon another. Well, it's not until verse 36 that he says a win the day and the hour up to that point have been all signs. So now he's moving into that other question that still hadn't been addressed yet. Here's all the signs. Now, when is that all going to happen? And so he's telling them, uh, I can't say, you know, April, whatever <laughs> date, because that hasn't hasn't been set yet. All right, Mike. Well, I think, I mean, you guys bring back Luke 21, 20. That's about the sign. Well, you're about to get choked out. Yeah.
it makes no sense to any prisoners that you have to logistically now plan that they're going to eat into your uh, funds because you got to feed them. So you're going to take what you need, jump the rest out, and really don't care about life or limb at this point because they're just objects. Yeah. So, you know, you don't need to take everything. Yeah, yeah, and a lot of this is is you need to need to, to get out. Don't look back. Run, run before it's too late. Because uh, what you read about happening in the first century is pretty traumatic about uh, how the Roman siege happened and the amount of people they killed. And uh, Josephus' whole book called Wars uh, just depicts the, the horrors of, of ultimately what happened. Well, two things. One, this is still the Jewish age, so he's not talking about a Christian rapture. They're not. The second one, First Thessalonians, when he does talk about the Lord's times and comforting them, he doesn't say, hey, Jesus talked to us about this and told us. It actually says that this came to us from a revelation yep. from the Lord, is what they got this information from, that they were worried about what was going to happen. And that's where he talks about the saints rising in heaven. He doesn't say, well, Jesus told us when he was on earth that this is what will happen. Yeah, he has to write a whole new document about what the second coming is ultimately going to look like. And there are quite a few distinctions between how 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5 describe what's going to happen versus what you're reading here. You have two different events. Dennis? Yes, now you alluded to earlier in verse 3, how the King James reads. Yes. Yeah. But the times are coming. Yes. How many years has the King James been used? And I've even heard it on my YouTube channel. It's only the King James that you can't trust me. Yeah. <laughs> so that everything you read after verse 3 it does color it. It does color it. I'm not a translation basher. I like lots of translations. I use them all, all the time. But there are different translations that from time to time you scratch your head and go, yeah, that, that didn't help. And I would say end of the world didn't help. But to be fair, back in Matthew 16, when the ESV reads and the, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, why did the ESV do that? That's not what the Greek word is there. That just doesn't help either. So I'll cap on all the translations when they make a mistake or have an issue or, or go the wrong, wrong way. Uh, but age is what all the translations now go with here to try to communicate that that's what we're ultimately looking at. All right. You have three minutes to shoot holes. You got, you got your final chances. That, that's the run of, of that. Is that's the fast overview of just breaking down that it's signs and wind, Sanford? Here it actually, you know, it stopped. It talks about Noah. Now, when you interpret this the wrong way, you're obviously going to think it's talking about the end of time. Because we know in the days of Noah, you know, he basically was (coughs) sure they needed to repent, and then of course came the flood, and what happened? Everybody was wiped out. So that's why people get misinterpreted. It's, it, well, yeah, if you carefully read it, what is the parallel to Noah that it's, it's connecting? Yeah, the connection that Jesus makes is not the global nature of the judgment. The connection is they will be eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage while Noah was getting in the ark. <laughs> they're going to go, hey, everything's great, everything's fine. And that's what they're going to think in, in Judea as well. So that's actually the connection point. Vicki? And that part, and just the way that I, I heard it was, um, he can tell us. 
Sure. He could give us the day. That, sure. that is what he did. Did he not go around and go, this will happen? Yeah. You need to yeah. do this. Follow me. Yeah. I'm telling you right now, this is what I know. Yeah. He told them at yeah. one point in time, and it did no good. Yeah. So yeah. What's the right. And he and he even tells them it's going to be within your generation and yet you guys are going to fall asleep in the process of waiting for, for it for it to happen. Right. OK. Uh, any other uh, points? I just know that's, a, again, a fast overview. But I want you to see that so much of what is said in Matthew 24 and you can bring in uh, Mark and Luke as well are reiterated in Revelation. And it's that's, to me, a useful connection that we have the same uh, object of God's wrath in view as the same quotes are being used, the same descriptions are being used, uh, same terminology of trampling holy city is, is, is being used, the gathering of the elect from the four winds and the angels, same thing in Revelation 7. So all of the same, same visuals are, are being used there, okay? So you're good, you're okay? I know, that's... It was a jarring lesson, I know. All right. Uh, so, and again, that's not to say that there are not, in my point of view, myriads of other places that talk about the second coming. But I don't think it's here. Uh, I don't think that's what they're asking, and I don't think that's what, what, what they're looking at. Rather, signs, and then at verse 36, a win. All right. Um, hmm. Yeah, I better leave it at that. All right, uh, we'll take a 15-minute break and reconvene at 10.30. Uh, what I'll do for next week is I'll just a very quick overview of 6 through 11. Since we spent so many, uh, so many weeks in Revelation 6 through 11, I'm just going to do a quick summary. Chapter 6 was this, 7 was this, 8 was this, 9 was this, 10, 11, so that we're prepped for going into chapter 12. So be ready for Revelation 12 next week. And uh, just if you, as a good kind of refresher of what that whole section's been about, uh, we'll cover that. 15-minute break. Thanks, everybody.